at Mount Airy Lodge or Pocono Gardens. Do all the things you've wanted to do all summer, all day, all night. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Call 966-7210 for reservations at Pocono Gardens and beautiful Mount Airy Lodge. Hello and welcome to FW Presents, the anthology show for the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and this is another episode of Mountain Comics, the show where I look back at the comic books I bought while on vacation in the Pocono Mountains of Pennsylvania in the 1970s and 1980s. And joining me in the cabin this week, all the way from the other side, well, maybe not the other side of the world, but pretty close to it, is from the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog, our pal, Martin Gray. Hi, Martin. Hiya, Robert. Thanks very much for having me down by the lake. <laughs> I hope you enjoy the view. Uh, I really appreciate you being here. This is the first time we've recorded together in, like, I think a couple of years. So I'm really excited to talk to you again. It's really nice to have you here with, with me virtually. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so before we get to the comic in question, which is The Defenders, number 101, uh, I need to ask you, since this is your first appearance on the show, like, do you have something like this in your background, in your childhood, like comic books that you got while on vacation, or as you guys like to say, holiday, was there something that was specific to being on vacation? Yeah, to an extent, yeah. I mean, when I was a little a little boy, you know, five, six, seven, for several years, we went to a place on the North Yorkshire coast of England, just down from where I lived in County Durham, called Caton Bay, which is in place called Filey, and it was a caravan site that had fixed buildings, a motel, and we used to stay in the caravan, which in the early 70s, you know, you know, little little old-fashioned things, and it was a lot a lot of fun. I remember golden beaches, wearing big stupid plastic sunglasses, but on the campsite, <laughs> there was a, a little general store, convenience store, and they had a, a spinner rack, we called them carousels, and yes. on them, you would get in the American comics which was a real treat because back home they were very, very rarely found, usually in the summer. All you could find was the British summer specials, we call them, which were big, glossy, tabloid-sized versions of the regular things like the Beano and the Dandy. But mm-hmm. at this point, you know, going to Cape and Bear, I could find things that I would never see at home. Like you would see, you'd see these, uh, you're far too young, I think you weren't even born then, but uh, these comics <laughs> based on Laurel and Hardy, which... DC was publishing in the early 70s. Right, right. And there was a comic I've never, I've looked on Mike's Amazing World, I've never been able to find the exact title. It was a humor comic about this little South American boy. And it was called something like Someone, Name, and His Burrow. And apparently, a burrow, B U R R O, was a donkey. And mm-hmm. Someone, someone will know out there. And, but you, but also, I remember specifically, I mean, again, I had, I had a look at to double check dates and things because the ones I was I'm remembering didn't necessarily correspond to the actual data when I was there, but thinking on, <laughs> because British British comic shops, like comic news agents, they would get the American comics, like anything from six months to a year after US people did because of the way they came across on the ships as bats. Right, right. You know, the, the actual data we got them didn't correspond at all. So, I, I mean, ones that I distinctly do recall seeing and, you know, having at the time, rereading in the caravan on those lovely wet days, was uh, it was Adventure Comics 397, which you've probably seen over the years, which was the one in which Carazorel for the first time got a new costume. It's the one with the, the infamous reader's design covers. Okay. That was brilliant. <laughs> she finds Zond. And 
there was a, an issue of Strange Adventure. It was a 25 cents giant issue. And it scared me to death because the cover had real world leaders like Indra Gandhi and a big nuclear bomb going off. And I thought it was, you know, in my little you know, six, seven year old head, I thought it was actually something that was going to happen in the future that the world would end. Oh, <laughs> Honestly. oh man. And there was an issue of Lois Lane, I think it was. Uh, it was either 99 or 100, in which Superman was accusing Lois Lane. She was on trial for the murder of Lana Lang. And so he's holding up a picture of Lana and Lois fighting. And in, in the dialogue, he's saying that, you know, you killed Lana in cold blood. And for years, my memory of that comic was that she was pushing Lana into a vat of cold blood, which when I finally found the comic again, because I'd lost it over the years, didn't happen at all, sadly. <laughs> but, uh, just a couple more. There was, I mean, I remember there was a... I had an issue of The Brave and the Bold, which I now find out was 91, with Batman and Black Canary. You'll, you will, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, with the beautiful cover with Welcome to Fun City, Nick Cardi cover. Nick Cardi, yeah. right. And there was the final issue of Jimmy Olsen before Jack Kirby arrived, in which he'd betrayed one of the many, many issues in which he'd sold out Superman. <laughs> that was 132. And apart from that, there was lots, lots of DC mystery titles, you know, House of Mystery and things, and... Lots of really tatty, but I love them. Charlton spooky comics like Ghost Manor and The Many Ghosts of Dr. Graves. And I still have all the original ones at home in the Northeast in, in a cupboard somewhere. But Oh, I was about to ask you if you still had them. That's great. I do. I have, I have them there. But because uh, my brother, still, my little brother still lives at home and he's a little peculiar about people going into his bedroom, which used to be the bedroom I shared with him and my big brother. They're in, they're in the cupboard in there. And I've not seen them physically for years because, again, family politics, not worth going into, but I've, I've re-bought a lot of them over the years. And things things like the, uh, the Brave and the Bold, I've got in the Brave and the Bold omnibus sitting behind me here. <laughs> but, uh, but no, I mean, I, I still have them and they will smell wonderful. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a little shocked to, to hear you say that um, some Charlton's made it over because... I had a tough time finding Charlton's here, and I, that's the same country they were published in. I'm shocked that they made it all the way over to England because Charlton had very weird distribution. Yeah, no, we, we got we got loads of them for years and years and years. And it was, and again, I, I think it probably was because because of, you know you know the situation with the ballast, how they basically right. Yeah, there was no organised distribution. They would just come over on British ships from the across the Atlantic from America, and they were just used basically to help keep the ships afloat or something i don't know i don't know the physics <laughs> right but i think you know probably with whichever comics were unsold in a warehouse nearby the docks wherever the ships came from that's what we got and you know there was an awful <laughs> lot of the charms and, and they were just a, a lot of fun you because know, back there was you know six sixpence an issue you know two and a half pence decimal mm-hmm. um, i just i just buy whatever i get my hands on i've got a lot of effect i i, I just you know bought an old wadge of Charlton's from eBay last year. I just wanted to reread some of them, you know. That's really cool. That's amazing. That is just amazing. Yeah, I did know about that, that they were British, American comics were brought over literally just to like keep the boat stable. <laughs> That's what they were there for. So they weren't treated... Uh, you know, with the with the best care in the world, so I guess it would make sense that yeah, if you had un- if you needed unsold comics, you probably had a lot of Charlton's. Not to be not to be nasty to Charlton, but you probably had a lot of those. Yeah, so honestly, like, it, you, would, you would see as many Charlton's as you would, and also Harvey comics, your hot stuff and Wendy and things and cats. Right, Richie Rich, of course. Oh yeah, yeah, I didn't like Richie Rich much, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> as you would DC comics. So it was you know on the one on the one hand, it was a shame you couldn't guarantee 
issue after issue. But on the other hand, this right. is the way continuity was in those days. You know, every issue pretty much told a story. So no problem at all. You were happy with with whatever you got. Right, right. Oh, that's cool. That's great. I'm so happy that you still have them, even if you don't. You're not. They're not accessible to you right now. At least you still have them somewhere. That's really cool. I love that. Oh, I, I, I do. I just. It's just great to look back at them. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, well, let's talk about this comic, which is, I said, it's a Defenders, number 101. It was on sale August 18th, 1981, so that would have been just two days after I turned 10 years old. Uh, the story is called Renewal. It's by J.M. Demetrius, one of my favorites, Don Perlin, and Joe Sinat. So the plot is uh, the Defenders have returned to Doctor Strange Sanctum Sanctorum, following their victory against the Six-Fingered Hand and Satan's conspiracy to make hell on Earth. I think he's doing a good job of that now. However, uh, despite their victory, the morale of the team is deeply shaken. Hulk angrily, of course he does, uh, it's always angrily, asks his fellow defenders what's wrong, and Hellcat lashes out on him. Hulk ultimately gets fed up and leaves the group, not wanting to be around a group of miserable people. (laughs) The Submariner also takes this as a cue to leave, as well as opting to return to Atlantis to deal with his royal affairs, and then he flies off. Once more feeling useless, now that he is crippled again, Nighthawk quits the defenders. Devil Slayer decides to stay, however, having nothing to turn to since his wife has decided to stay back in Israel. The Silver Surfer speaks up and tells the group that they shouldn't be so melancholy. However, Doctor Strange feels this way after losing Son of Satan to his father, the devil himself. The group decides to do whatever it takes to cheer themselves up. And so Hellcat, Valkyrie, and Gargoyle decide to visit Hellcat's housekeeper, Dolly Donahue, in the hospital. Doctor Strange, Clea, and the Surfer decide to go flying and see the world in order to relax and get a renewed sense of self. Devil Slayer opts to stay behind in New York and walks around the rainy streets. He happens upon a strung-out former hippie named Sunshine Gross. Thinking the burnout hippie to be a demon, Devil Slayer attacks and chases him down the street until Sunshine trips over his own feet, and Devil Slayer realizes that Sunshine is simply a scared, strung-out shell of a human being. Meanwhile, Patsy, Val, and Gargoyle visit, pay a visit to Dolly in the hospital, where she is taken up to reading to the sick in the children's ward. When the kids pull off Gargoyle's disguise, there is a brief moment where Isaac fears they will react in horror, but is pleasantly surprised to find that Dolly and the children are very accepting of his form. The Silver Surfer, Doctor Strange, and Clea arrive in Africa, where the Surfer shows them an indigenous tribe who invite them all with open arms. The three weary heroes participate in the tribe's regular festivities and find that the change of pace rejuvenating. With renewed spirits, Strange and Clea are taken around the world by the Surfer, who reintroduces them to the wonderment and beauty all around them. Back in New York, Devil Slayer follows Sunshine to his home where he finds that the man lives in absolute squalor, surrounded by posters of a foregone era that his drug-addled mind still wishes existed. When Devil Slayer realizes that Sunshine has all but destroyed his mind with drugs, he becomes angry and lashes out at him again, but stops when Sunshine tells him that he can't help addiction. Devil Slayer, seeing something in common with Sunshine, agrees to help the poor addict after first helping himself. Leaving Sunshine, Devil Slayer returns to the Sanctorum to find his fellow defenders outside enjoying the dawn. They invite him to join in their rejuvenation, an offer that he takes up with his newfound friends. All right, Martin, before we get to the story in question, I need to ask you, what's your history with the Defenders as a series? Did you read this regularly? I did, yeah. I first came across the non-team in the mid-70s, around the time that they fought the Sons of the Serpent. The, the, the membership then was the membership. The non-membership then was the usual, you know, Doctor <laughs> Doc, Doc, you know, Doc Strange, Hulk, Valkyrie. But they also had guest stars, Power Man, Daredevil, Son of Satan, and Yellow Jacket. And that that was a fun, intense time. And I kept reading. Well, I was reading them from the Sons of the Servants onwards as often as I could. 
and eventually we were able to get monthly American Marvel comics or color comics, as they said on the cover. And from about 50 onwards, I was reading every issue. So I was reading right, right through 100 and beyond. And I loved it. I mean, I, my favorite defenders are the versions that just have Nightwing, Doctor Strange, Valkyrie, Hellcat. I've never been a big fan of Namo in the Defenders. And I found Silver Surfer intolerable generally, although I thought it was a who this issue that the, the Silver Surfer is telling people to cheer up. I thought that myself, yeah. <laughs> like, who is he to tell them to stop being so mopey? What's that about? Absolutely. It's, it's like a version of Dan Slott, Silver Surfer, 30 years earlier or something like that, which was wonderful. But uh, yeah, I, I love the defense. I love the, I love the ever-changing nature. I love the soap operatics, and Hellcat's one of my just absolute favorite Marvel characters. Full stop. So once she was around the whole time, it was just a delight. Yeah, I always liked this book. I got it whenever I could because I, I, as much as I enjoyed, you know, the Avengers and the Justice League of like the books with the main char- you know, main u- characters of the universe. I liked kind of the off-brand teams as well. And DC didn't do as much of that. I mean, DC's off-brand teams like Doom Patrol, like never intermingled with like the Justice League. That you know, those memberships never crossed over. But here you could have that sort of sloshing over. I mean, like Spider-Man was a member of the Defenders at some point because, of course, the Defenders didn't have members. That's the whole thing. It was a non-team. But so once they figured out that they could have – you know, Doctor Strange and Submariner and Hulk and Silver Surfer kind of be the guy, the anchors of the team who would come in and out because, of course, they had their own books at different times. But then you would have Nighthawk, Valkyrie, Hellcat, and then later on here, Devil Slayer, Gargoyle, the sort of B characters, but you could do more with them because they only appeared in Defenders. I thought the book really was very, I mean, it was always very fun, but I liked this lineup a lot. And of course, as is typical with a lot of my podcasts, I always say this. This particular run by J.M. Jam- Demetrius is great. Uh, we said that uh, earlier this season, Sean Ross and I, we were talking about Captain America because J.M. Demetrius was doing that book as well. But I really like this whole run of stories that he did leading up to this where they went to hell. They fought – they literally fought Satan uh, and, and, and lost uh, Damien Hellstrom in the battle. He was stuck down in, in hell. And so – those issues leading up to this were crazy, and all the covers were, like, really ornate. There was one cover by Michael Golden, one cover by Marshall Rogers with Man-Thing on it. Uh, and then in uh, issue number 100, you've got two sets of the team members squaring off against each other, which I'm always a sucker for. But here, now he's JMD, – JMD is, like, downshifting. You know, this is kind of a – after all this craziness, we're going to do kind of a calm story about everybody just regrouping. And I like that a lot, um, particularly the cover. This cover is by Al Milgram, and you've got Silver Surfer saying, now is the time, Defenders, for renewal. And there's different members. And you see Hulk actually kind of turning his shoulder towards them, which is an indication that he's going to leave the team as of this issue. What do you think of the cover? I'm a big fan of Al Milgram, and normally I would probably love it, but – I think the only, in fact, yeah, I mean, the bit with the Hulk turning, that's very, a very good point. And generally the grouping's pretty well done. The, my problem really is the surfboard, just the fact that he hasn't done any any kind of uh, toning or etching or anything. <laughs> just on the, that white. Yeah, on the underside of the surfboard, so it's like this, just this big bat, bat area of white cutting across the cover. And his leg, his, his right leg, the way it's positioned, it's a little fair. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's not my favourite Al Milgram cover, but I do, I love, I love the colouring. I love the white and the blue on the logo. I love the black background. And it was probably a pretty difficult one to 
illustrative this is such a an off off brand issue mm-hmm. well, right. I mean, dialogue. It's, right it's 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 all it's all about like okay we're gonna you can't get any like crazier once you've sent your team to hell to fight satan you really can't get any crazier. So again, it makes sense to kind of like bring it down a notch. And I like in that opening splash page, where we've got them all. They're all looking like exhausted, you know, like like Hellcats on the couch. They're all sitting. A lot of them are like sitting down. Even Silver Surfer is sitting on a surfboard, even though that's floating in the air. But I like all that. And Hulk is the one who's. And this is like a weird phase for Hulk, where he's like a little. He's a little less hulky. Then I remember he's actually speaking in full sentences. Yeah, yeah. He's like, why does everyone act like something bad happened? We beat the devils, didn't we? And I'm like, is that where Hulk was at this point? I don't really – I was buying Hulk at the time, but I didn't remember that he was – he wasn't talk like Hulk. Like he wasn't like that. He was actually using nouns and prepositions and stuff. I think you have uh, James Matisse writing you. Your vocabulary is going to get better. And yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that's probably probably the case. Yeah, that's, uh, and that's, I said – no, go ahead. I, say, I mean, that splash page is fantastic. Eleven characters, and it, do, it doesn't look too cluttered. They're all doing something, as you say. They're all acting their socks off. They've all got a bit of personality, a bit of character, body language. Don, Don Perlin really doesn't get enough credit. I would agree with that, yeah. he was, And he had a long run on The Defenders. Like, this was his book for the longest time. And Joe Sinod, of course, is always a great anchor. He's always one of the best sort of Marvel House-style anchors. So he gives it a nice, smooth feel to it. Uh, I like that uh, I like that, that Hellcat, when, when Hulk is kind of mad at them all, and he's like, well, you know, why are you all moping around? And Hellcat, like, actually gets in Hulk's face, yeah, yeah. which is gutsy as all get out, because she doesn't have any superpowers. She's just like a regular – she's got those claws, but that's about it. And the Hulk, like, actually, like, challenging the Hulk, which I thought was fun. And then he picks her up. Uh, and, you know, he's like, why did Catgirl yell at Hulk? What, what did Hulk do wrong? And I'm like, he's just so frustrated with them all. And he actually, um, she actually tries, she apologizes. She says, I'm sorry. And she strokes his face. And he gets so mad and he throws her down on the couch, which is like a kind of a real dick move of the Hulk. Cause, considering that, uh, I mean, even if he's doing it at like quarter his power, that's still pretty bad for the Hulk to throw you around. Oh, it, it's a little much, I suppose. Patsy's probably so used to being able to calm the savage breast or beast, whichever it is. But uh, <laughs> it's a fun scene. And again, again, it's a, it's a nice laid out, laid out page with, with the, you know, the Hulk lifting Patsy across two two banks of panels and then tossing her down in the yep. middle. It's, it's fun. Yeah. So, uh, and if so, then he takes off, Hulk leaves, he quits the team. And then right after that, Submariner quits the team, which I can appreciate that. I mean, he was probably, you know, he brings a lot of power to the. I've said this before in other podcasts, like in terms of pure muscle, for a while, the Defenders were like the number one team in comics. You've got Hulk, Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer, and Submariner all on the same team. Absolutely. That's an amazing amount of power. Both magic, mystical, supernatural, and then sheer muscle. Like That's a really powerful team. That's a pretty amazing. It really is, but I suppose, thinking on, thinking back, uh, Namo and Silver Surfer really had just come back for the, the end of the Six-Fingered Hand storyline, so... They probably were un- unlikely to stay anywhere, but, uh, but I just yeah. again, I just absolutely love seeing Prince Prince Nemo, Nemo, whichever, draw you know, inked by Joe Sinnott again, like in the, in the mm-hmm. Fantastic Four. I think Sinnott and Perlin are just wonderful together. Yeah, yeah, it looks great. So, so he takes off, and then Nightwing, who is crippled at the moment, he quits the team as well. And just to add to the the general doom and gloom, of course, they're all leaving the team. It's raining out. It's pouring rain and it's gray. And so it's just utterly miserable. It's one of those just kind of, you know, ugly New York winters where it's just like, oh, or just uh, gloomy and everything is just sad and everybody's all melancholy. Again, even Devil Slayer talks about that his wife, as I mentioned, she's staying back in Israel. So he's 
he's got nothing to do. So he actually is going to stick around, which is sort of funny because Devil Slayer is kind of like a, another kind of a disagreeable character. He's kind of like Namor in that he's sort of very tense all the time. So when he's like, I'm going to stick around, you're like, well, I, I guess that's a good thing, I guess, because he's, you know, he's going to be kind of difficult. He doesn't have anywhere else to go. But if I was like one of the other members of the Defenders, I'd be like, I, I, I don't know. Okay, I guess it's good you're you're staying. So, but he's kind of kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, yeah I mean, he's a real pillar to the whole world, the, the, to the old hippie that he meets. At one point, when the hippie takes him back to his his quarters, Devil Slayer raises his hand. He's going to slap him before he realizes, you know, yeah. what, what a problem the poor guy has. He needs help, sympathy, not anger. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So then we 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 have this little uh, bit with Silver Surfer and Doctor Strange, where Doctor Strange sort of reiterates what happened in the last couple issues. And it's funny. There's this panel where we see uh, Satan, like literally Satan himself, just sitting there with his son Damian Hellstrom and all these demons, and they're sitting around a fire. And it looks it's not meant to look comical, but I think it almost kind of does because it looks like they're sitting around a campfire telling stories. Well, you know, I'm like it's kind of the lessons of the damned. Remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, it's like, that is Satan for Pete's sakes, you know, and poor Dr. Strange is frustrated that they had to leave Damien behind. Again, we'll get him back in a later couple issues. And then finally, Gargoyle gets enough of this, and he's like, it's right, Mr. Surfer is absolutely right, we're alive, bless, and we saved the world. Let's not be babies and cry in our milk. <laughs> he's like, all right, enough. So that's when the three of them decide they're going to go to the hospital and talk to Damien, uh, talk to, um, Patsy's uh, Patsy's uh, housekeeper, who's in the hospitals, are going to go see her. She gives her cape over to back over to Devil Slayer. They get in their their uh, their civilian clothes. Gargoyle dresses like the thing used to do in the Ford in the sixties, uh, where he would just bandage himself up all over his face so he could go out on the streets. And then Silver Surfer and Doctor Strange and Clea take off so he can give them a tour. And Clea is sitting on surfer's surfboard which is kind of a cute that's a nice panel like a big panel of the three of them taking up i don't know about you i've always liked clea i i always thought she was one of my favorite characters and i was really disappointed that she did not appear in the doctor strange movie i i just thought i always thought she was really cool and i wish she had got more play uh in in the comics and just in, in generally pop culture ditto bro very big ditto i mean she she you know she has a fascinating background incredible power levels if she's allowed to use them a wonderful appearance. I mean, she hasn't got her trademark hairstyle, her quicksilver hair, this issue. But I just really, really like it. In fact, actually, look, there was a British fanzine in the early 80s that did a, a, a sequence, a page-long a page collage of the way Cleo's hair had changed down the years. And it, it was ridiculous, but it just showed just the way her little, her little quicksilver dangly bits had moved up and down and round. But she doesn't have them here, but... I, I love Clea to bits, really. I mean, here, yeah. she, she looks like she's in some kind of beatific state all through the issue. She's a little bit of a Barbie doll expression that doesn't change very much. But just seeing Clea makes me happy. Yeah, yeah. I thought, I thought I, cool. That I was like that she, her as a companion to Doctor Strange, her as her own character. I thought her costume was cool. Like, I love those those leggings she has with those Discord. stripes across them. Like, she just looks really cool. So I always I always liked this character. I liked her as part of the, the Defenders. Yeah. So then later on, Devil Slayer goes out into the street. And I mentioned, I kind of glossed over it in the synopsis, but he's got his costume on. And he walks across this one guy, and this guy kind of like is like, "What?" And he realizes, "Oh, I'm wearing this weird costume." So he uses his powers to look like he's wearing just regular clothes, like it's just a jacket and a turtleneck. And the guy, you even hear the guy says, "How did he do that?" or whatever. So he's he's using his magical powers to look, uh, quote unquote, normal. And that's when he runs across uh, Sunshine here, this Woodstock character. And I, without reading too much into 
uh, JMD's personal life. I mean, JM Dimitrius seems like an enormously. I've have been fortunate enough to speak to him a couple of times. Have him, had him on uh, this very show. He's a very gentle soul, and I always think like like he's this this sunshine character is kind of almost like there, but for the grace of God, God go I kind of thing. Like he's looking at what. Other people that are probably similar to him, very peaceful, very gentle people, could what he could have become had he taken a different path. So it's like this kind of guy is just completely living in the past. He's still got his Woodstock T-shirt on. He's begging for money. Uh, we see that he's got this guitar case and there's like a dollar or something in it. And he's just and he's singing about Eric Clapton was God, Nixon was in power, Agnew was a like he's he's still living in America from ten years ago. Absolutely. I mean, it's 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 a very jammed Matisse comic in his in the in the way that you do have sunshine, you know, talking about, you know, part, well, reflecting back on, back on parts of Jerem de Matisse's life. And then you have this little girl in the hospital who's had cancer or has cancer. And, mm-hmm. you know, she, she does a, a lovely, a lovely job of cheering out, cheering everybody up. I mean, it's just, it's just the right side of Treaty, that scene. It's, it's sweet, sentimental, but it's not too, too sacred. It's, it's de Matisse sharing his philosophy that the universe is basically benevolent, but more, more certainly, I think, than he does in Dr. Fabian later on. Don't tell Shag I said that, but, uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I love Jan Dutis. He's, he's such a, an excellent writer. Yeah. He, he really, really is. So then on the, uh, on the bus ride over to the hospital, there's a little kid with a comic book in his back pocket, back pocket, which I thought was a nice touch. And he's looking at Gargoyle and he thinks, is this guy like a spy? And you hear him say, mister, how come you're dressed like that? You a spy or something? And he's trying to get Gargoyle to engage and Gargoyle won't. And he even says, agent X, X9 to X10, come in X10, which is really cute that he's the, this kid is kind of like a character from like a 1950s or something that he's thinks this, this weirdly dressed guy. And Gargoyle never engages with him at all. But I like that that's extra little detail of the kid and it's in and then they go to the hospital they meet dolly and they they the one kid uh grabs gargoyles like little neckerchief off of his face and he's revealed to see what he looks like and there's that initial panel where everyone gets ready gargoyle says that he gets ready for the shrieks of horror and then dolly and the kids just smile and they're just complete and, and in fact one kid says you're the neatest looking guy i've ever seen which again that seems like a very JMD touch. I love that idea that, of course, to a kid, monsters aren't necessarily scary looking. So even though Gargoyle looks like his name, Gargoyle, to kids, he's just cool looking. And I, so I like that. Again, it's a nice humane touch. And then, as you mentioned, immediately following that, we see Patsy talking to a little girl who named Serena who has cancer. And she's bald and she's carrying around like a little dolly and she's in like a little nightdress and just – the fact that they devote a whole page to this of this little girl and she actually is feeling sorry for Patsy because Patsy is sad even. And then Patsy realizes, good Lord, what do I have to be sad about? This poor kid is, is horribly ill. And she says, it's hard to keep track of magic. Sometimes Serena, very hard, but you radiate it and you prove it exists. And it's really sweet. It's a really beautiful moment. And again, it's the kind of thing that that's JM Demetrius all over. It is. I think, Perlin gets the humanity across as well. I think they're a great team together. It's, it's very, you know, it's very simplistic compared to a lot of the art that you get nowadays, but it gets the story across without being distracting. Yeah, it's really said. It's really, really 
beautifully done. That whole sequence is great. I think I love all that stuff in the, in the hospital. So then we go to Africa and Silver Surfer brings Dr. Strange and Clea to this tribe where they are welcomed with open arms and he, they participate in this ritual. Silver Surfer gives the king, <laughs> we see Silver Surfer giving two kids a ride on his surfboard, which is great. And Dr. Strange and Clea are partaking of some, some local beverages or some local food. We see they have bowls in their hand. Then there's this nighttime ceremony and Clea and Doctor Strange realize, like, oh, there's there's so much around there. And then we lead. Then it leads to the two of them talking alone, where he says, "These simple people have managed to tap into the spiritual forces that mystics and yogis spend literal lifetime seeking." I says, "I feel, I feel." And then they go to this full page, and we'll have this over on the website, findwaterpodcast.com, in the gallery section. A full page of Doctor Strange and Clea doing this sort of mystical dance. Which is also involves has like there's one point where they're kissing, there's one point where Doctor Strange is kissing her on the forehead. Then they're dancing in the sky together in front of everybody, and it's it's wonderful. It is such a great page. The final word on the page is bliss, and to me that is completely conveyed here. And it it's beautiful. I really love this page. I I didn't remember uh, when I was rereading this comic for this podcast. I mean, obviously, I got this comic at the time when I was ten. I don't know if this kind of thing would have resonated with me because I was 10 and I didn't, you know, I was, that was like, you know, pre-adolescence. I wasn't interested in girls and stuff. So, I mean, none of that stuff really worked on me, but I mean, man, I look at it now and I'm like, this is such a beautiful moment. Again, I love that Demetrius takes the time to do this. And I love that uh, Perlin and Sinat devote a whole page to it. I think it's great. Absolutely. It's, it's a marvelous night for a moon dance. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, that's so. I mean, the whole idea of let you know, let let's find our joy. Let's go to Africa. It's. I mean, there's just not enough moments in superhero comics where people take a breath and you know, it's like they can do all these things. They can travel around the world and go through the time barrier, and they so rarely do anything where they're just doing it, doing it for themselves. And you know, on the one hand, we shouldn't use our powers for all. It's like, no, you, you deserve a little reward every now and then to see what you're fighting for. To meet, mm-hmm. you know, to, to meet different people around the world and just just take a breath, enjoy yourself. And it's, this is really this issue is really what was needed after I think it was six, you know, probably six or seven issues of build up towards you know demonic demonic battles, right. Right. Yeah, right. He said it's it's a perfect palate cleanser after after that craziness of all that. So that's a really wonderful sequence. And then they take off and Silver Surfer again gives them a tour and we see all these different kinds of people. We see uh, another person uh, like a somebody playing like a uh, like a lute or something. I'm not sure what instrument he's playing. And then we see someone uh, praying in front of a Buddha. And then we see a man with his his infant that he's feeding and he's showing them all these wonderful things. And then quite the change up we follow devil slayer back to sunshine's pad and of course the place is absolutely run down and disgusting now i am curious though as bad as the place is and it's it's filthy and the there it's run down and there's there's a beatles poster and an lbj got a pay poster and they're like falling off the walls and he mentions that he's been there since altamont now altamont took place in 1970 this is 1981 I'm like, what kind of rent control does this guy have that he still has the same place? I don't know. And I mean, they get to, you know, we're shown that Sunshine is probably not employable. Like he's at this point, he's he's been reduced to just sort of begging on the street, yeah. 
or maybe not begging, I guess busking might be a better term for it. But nevertheless, he's obviously pretty hard luck. He has no shoes, his shirt is all torn, and he's been in the same New York apartment for 11 years. That's, I, I don't, I, I think a lot of people in New York would be happy to be in the same place 11 years later and still be able to afford it. It could be that he has problems remembering his time scale, though, with the way, <laughs> the way his mind. Could be. Thanks for explaining. I didn't actually know what Altamont was, so goodness me, that is a long time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, his furniture is an overturned uh, tuna box can, a tuna can box. Like it just says tuna on the side and stuff. So he's, you know, it's and there's a there's like a there's like a, uh, an empty can and they're just sitting on the floor and there's a rat we see at one point and we can see um, we can see drugs yeah. sitting there. I mean, you can it's they're hard to make out because they're kind of uh, colored monochromatically, uh, but they're there and they said that's what drives Devil Slayer insane because he's like you're basically wasting your life and he yells at him and then of course when sunshine sort of he says you can't blame blame me for being what i am i ain't got nothing else and then that wakes double slayer up because he realizes well this poor guy has just been hollowed out uh, by his addictions and he says i'm i'm grateful and i'm going to help you out but first i have to help myself which is a little weird it's a little bit of like i'll help you but later like well I have no idea whether he followed up on this. I don't recall. I'll go, go back and I'll check it out, but I don't recall that he did. Yeah, so I think you know that's it for <laughs> that's it for sunshine. Uh, and then he wanders back uh, home in the middle of the night, and all the defenders are standing there waiting for him, which is again a weird moment, like why they aren't inside. They're all sitting on the stoop, like they don't have the keys to the place or something. But they're they're waiting for him to come back, and they wait for Devil Slayer, and he says, "You know, how are you doing, Eric? We're doing our we're, we were out renewing ourselves. Would you care to join us?" And Devil Slayer says, I believe I would. I believe I would. And it ends on the shot of the Sanctum Sanctorum with all the defenders sitting there. And it's in the it's in the dawn. And it says, in the morning light, never seemed brighter. Fini. And, again, it's a one and done. Uh, I love it. It's, it's a postscript to what was going on. But it's a perfect – timing-wise, it's perfect to have that as the 101st issue of, like, okay, we're concluding this big storyline. We're going to get rid of some of the members. We're going to bring the core team down a little. We're going to give everybody a, a chance to breathe. And then we're going to pick up with a new storyline. And they talks about Nighthawk flies alone in the next issue and stuff. But overall, it's a really sweet issue. And, again, it's, it's like what I said with Sean Ross uh, when we talked about Captain America 275 by JMD. I'm sure I appreciated the comic at the time. In fact, I know I did. But I look at it now as an adult, and I'm like, wow, there is so much more here than I appreciated at 10 years old. And the fact that this comic book is, you know, 39 years old, and I'm still finding new things in it, it's like, that's just amazing. It's just a terrific. I really enjoyed rereading it. And even the the Silver Surf is a lot more palatable when he's, I think, J.M. Dematisse is the perfect writer for Silver Surf because, I mean, a a few pages back when, Silver Surfer saying, you know, strip away the darkness and the blazing core of love and sanctity stands revealed. That's just what I want to hear right now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. It's, it's nice to see, as you mentioned, it's like when you have superpowers, you don't want to use them to benefit yourself, but you can also enjoy yourself. You can also do something fun and good or whatever. And whether it's visiting people in the hospital or going to some faraway land and enjoying uh, people, uh, you know, living their lives. And stuff. so it's really sweet. It, it's a reminder of how much I enjoyed the JMD run of the defenders. It was one of the reasons why I kept buying this book. Cause again, it's just, it's just really, really well done. So it's, it's a really great uh, one-off. And one question I do have for you, just to get your general opinion about this as the defenders was Dr. Strange, the Martian Manhunter of the Defenders, in that, like, to him, like, to you, like, he had to be on the team. You could lose Surfer, you could lose Hulk, you could lose Namor, but he kind of had to have Doctor Strange. You feel like 
I, I think he was in like every single issue of the Defenders. I, they, they, I don't think he ever left the team. I think I'm not, I, yeah, I think I think until they became the new Defenders, I think that's correct. Uh, to me, yes. Because, I mean, the Santing Sanctorum that that was the headquarters. That's that's to me that's right. That's the heart heart of the comic, along with Doctor Strange and Patsy and Valkyrie and Hellcat. Doctor Strange, he had to be there. I mean, he was, he was sometimes, you know, a, <laughs> a little dull, a little stodgy. But occasionally he could surprise you, like this issue where he's having fun with Clea. Uh, yes, I mean, he, he, he didn't bring as much humour to the, to the issues as Martian Manhunter did to JLI later on. But that was, mm. that was a whole different tone of book anyway. Yeah. So I, I was always, I get disappointed if I don't see Doctor Strange on the cover. Yeah, I said I feel like he has to kind of be in here. He he just he's so central to what's going on with this with this book. So I always enjoyed that he was in. It. And said it's it's a really fun comic. I really enjoyed rereading it again. It makes me want to go back and reread all the other issues of the Defenders that that were leading up to this because I remember how fun those were. But this was great. And he said I. I I can remember buying this. I remember the newsstand that I bought it at up in the Poconos. I can remember pulling it off. There's only 50 cents and I can remember getting it and just sitting and reading it. It's just, it's a really great comic. It's really fun. It's one of the reasons why mountain comics are so beloved to me because they bring back all these memories I had. And this was, of course, you know, I'm reading a comic kind of about the defenders on a, very brief vacation. Yeah, yeah. And I was on vacation. Now, I was a kid then. I didn't have anything to really be vacation, vac- vacating from other than school. But nevertheless, I was sitting back at the cabin, relaxing and just kicking around, not doing much of anything, while the Defenders are doing very very much the same thing. So it was it was just a perfect comic for me to get in, in uh, August of August 18th of 1981. So it's a, yeah. it's a super book. I, I can say pretty safely, I, I would have read it in... The November of that year, when I was seven, seventeen, seventeen, just the year before I went to university, journalism college, and I don't, I don't remember specifically reading it. What I was doing, I would have been sitting and sitting in the house reading it. But I just know that I, I remember the warm glow I got from reading this comic. I loved this issue so much. Yeah, it's a really good really, book. So. Really solid, good-looking Marvel comic with a message that needs to be heard. With some of my favorite characters. Including, including the wonderful gargoyle, who I always think of as Clarence from It's a Wonderful Life with Wings. <laughs> it's, a, it's a terrific issue. And I, I wish I'd read it in the circumstances you had. I wish I'd read it on, you know, sitting by a lake, maybe with the sun going down and eating lovely snacks. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It was a good time, Ed Boyle. So, well, I think that's going to do it uh, for this issue, for the Defenders 101, and for this episode of Mountain Comics. So, Martin, thank you for coming by. I really appreciate it. We've, it's been way too long since we podcasted together, so I'm really happy to have the chance to talk to you about this this fun comic and to finally have you on the show. Thanks very much for having me. It's been uh, really, really enjoyable for me. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Robert. All right, so uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the internet? Well, you can find me at my blog, Too Dangerous for a Girl, in which I look at a few comics, a few new comics every week, and occasionally do retro reviews of old comics, which is fun for me, if not the readers. And I'm on <laughs> on Twitter at, at Mark Gray, and I'm usually hanging around the fire and water boards. I seem to have a knack of being able to stop any conversation on the message board. I, I always seem to have the last word when I don't want to. <laughs> I don't know why I come with something long and rambling and then everyone loses interest. <laughs> Join me there, guys. <laughs> you see, everybody, ever go through the boards, find Martin's comment, and then respond to it, just so it's not the last comment anymore. Everybody go, go out and do that. <laughs>
So of, course, <laughs> so, of course, if you want to follow this show, uh, you can find it on our website, findwaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to it on Apple, FW Presents on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. And uh, specifically, uh, the show has a Twitter feed. Of course, of course it does. You can find it over on Twitter at FWPMountain.com. And then finally, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, you can go to patreon.com slash FWPodcast. And there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So if, for some crazy reason, Reason. Mountain Comics is your favorite show on the network. You can support uh, this show directly over on Patreon, and you can just let us know, and you'll get mentioned here on Mountain Comics. So that's going to do it for this episode. We will be back next month for a uh, – even though as I'm sitting here, uh, summer is winding down. This makes me so sad. Summer is winding down. I still have a couple of Mountain Comics left to get to for this season. So that's going to do it for now. I'm going to grab some yoo-hoos, and Martin and I are going to enjoy the view. Uh, of the uh, the Lake of Wall and Paul Peck as the sun goes down. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye-bye.